DevOps Shorts, DevOps Shorts, the show to listen to when your DevOps hurts. And even when you're going strong, it's short and sweet, so come along. Hello folks and welcome to DevOps Shorts. Uh, it's actually episode number 11 now and my guest for tonight is Philip Cran. He's a meetup organizer, a conference speaker and uh, probably most importantly a developer advocate at Elastic. Uh, hello Philip, how are you? Hi, thanks, I'm good. Um, it's nice to be here. Uh, and I think my, my world has kind of changed by now a bit. Uh, I, I used to travel all around previously and now I'm I'm kind of stuck at home like everybody else. So now it's virtual meetups and virtual conferences. So admittedly, I kind of get a bit bored by all the virtual events. I hope we can get back to actual events at some point again. Yeah, I know exactly, exactly what you mean. Okay, so uh, our show is a show where we invite wonderful human beings like yourself to talk about uh, devs, ops, and other mythical creatures. And uh, it's a lightning fast conversation. It's short, it's only 15 minutes. We only ask three questions. And um, why? Well, because if there is one thing we know, it's that great delivery comes in small batches. Okay, so without further ado, we'll jump straight into our first question. And the question is, why do you, Philip, love information technology? I assume that you love it. I may be wrong, I may be right, but you're the one who can tell me. And I'm going to start my timer right now. Go, now it's your time. Great. Um, so I think I, I love it most of the time. Like every now and then you don't love it for whatever is not working or is broken. Uh, but that's part of the journey. I think what for me and probably many others is the, the thing is that we want to build something or we want to solve a problem. Like I, th I think I'm, I enjoy solving problems and IT is maybe the easiest way to get there that you have a problem that you want to solve. And I think it's a, a very direct way to, to get to that. And like you have a need and then you just solve it. Firstly, your own and then probably you start doing it professionally and in various other capacities as stuff evolves around. So I think that's where this love for IT and the building comes from. And I think I've heard a couple of interviews with other people in IT and one common thing is that oftentimes when you ask like, what would you do if you were not in IT? Many say something like woodwork or something like that. So they would still build something. So it's about this creation process. Um, but IT is just easier because, I don't know, you don't need any materials, um, nothing really breaks in the physical sense, um, everything is easily fixable or workable on. So I think that's kind of like a very direct approach to building something and playing around with stuff and getting on from there. So yeah, building stuff and uh, playfulness. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Actually, you know, the word uh, engineer comes from uh, to create. Uh, from the root of creation so yeah yeah it certainly makes sense and the playfulness yeah i like that part too I, I guess that also plays into the developer advocacy because like if you're an advocate or like give a talk you you have this advantage of freedom that you can just create something and build something and you don't have to maintain it long term and you don't need to think about like the long-term effects you can just do something that is fun and cool and for me, that's like a great aspect. Like it's like, oh, you have one day to build some demo or you wanted to explore something or somebody brings an interesting question and then you just dive into that. And it's really about this solving problems, building and 
playfulness, like you said. It's oftentimes like, even on our own discuss, somebody comes with a question. And sometimes if it's interesting, I will just try to dive in and understand like, why is this broken or why does it behave like this? It's really just around playing and getting, getting smarter and getting to results, which plays into that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, yeah, developer advocacy is, is, is an, its own special thing, but even in regularity, you know, with median tenure becoming smaller and shorter, you know, uh, people sometimes work a year, so you probably get to build a thing and you don't have to support it long term. <laughs> it's the same kind of irresponsible fun. Or it's kind of like that uh, shift between development and ops where you build it and then ops has to run it for the rest of their lives and it's not your problem anymore. Um, that's, that's always a great problem when you see that development just builds it and then throws it over the wall and then it's somebody else's problem. And that's the fun part. And that's why nobody wants to be in ops. And now we call it DevOps so that we don't have that problem anymore, I guess. Yeah, yeah, okay. And that takes us straight to our next question. And we still have some time left over from this one. So it's great uh, because we'll have some time for the blitz questions in the end. Okay, wonderful. And the second question is, what was your DevOps aha moment? So DevOps aha moment is a term taken from the DevOps handbook where the authors, each, each one of them describes that moment when they realize that the way things work in IT sucks because ops are not happy and they start making developers unhappy but there's a better way and uh, what was that moment for you i think my my devops moment was kind of like at my previous company when we we started off with aws and i think that was almost 10 years ago and at least for us back then aws was pretty new and obviously we went to the aws console and we just clicked around stuff and then the infrastructure grew from there and it kept growing and growing and growing. And at some point, nobody really knew what was going on anymore. And we certainly couldn't reproduce what was happening there. And the good thing was at some point, um, that was the very old time when there was EC2 Classic, like there was no VPC back then. So we had built everything with EC2 Classic. And at some point we wanted to migrate to VPC. And with that VPC migration, um, I, I got to rebuild everything. And then obviously we, automated everything um, and it was a great chance and for me that was kind of like that shift that getting to that automation or the 90% automation at least um, it was a bit of a challenge initially but later on it just made our lives much simpler that well you don't have to click around anymore and if a server dies you don't have the, the pet problem anymore that you need to kind of like fix stuff or like try to save some configurations of the server or that you try to write down every step that you have done in a wiki and it's never complete and you will never still be able to reproduce that. So for me, I think that was the, the DevOps moment to go from, from that like, oh, we, we built something to we can reproduce that. And it just came back to me, I think yesterday when I, I showed some colleagues how to set up the course in Strigo uh, for, so we can do some more workshops and webinars and whatever. Um, and there they said like, well, we can just take an EC2 instance, we click around, we install whatever we do we want, and then we take a snapshot. And then that's the AMI that we use in Strigo to spin up for everybody. And I was like, no, this is wrong. Like this needs to be automated. You, you need to approach this differently. And for me, at least, I, I always build those with Packer and then I use Ansible Local on the instance to install everything. I mean, that, that's a bit of a personal preference just because I've used it a lot in the past, but it's just like, 
I start one command and I pop in like, this is for example, the elastic stack version that I want to have for this workshop. And then it just spits out, like it might take 20 minutes, but it will spit out the new image that is exactly the state that I wanted, kind of like starting fresh, um, no old baggage or anything. And I get that. And when I run the workshop again two months later, I just pop in the current version again and it spits out the, the fresh image and we're done. And I don't have to worry about, will I be able to recreate it? Did I forget the step? Did something change or whatever? So um, for me, that's kind of like the, the DevOps moment. For me, it's really one of the big things is automation to, to get into that. And of course, on top of automation, then you get more into the monitoring or more maybe observability is a very popular term there, observability term that you actually see what is going on. And well, I started there at my previous job and I, I still try to, to take that into my current role and, and build on top of that there. Yeah, well, Elastic is at the heart of observability, isn't it? We do our best, um, <laughs> but yes, uh, it's one of our three main areas basically where we focus on, so yes. Okay. Um, and we have the right toys for that, which is great for me, so I can, coming back to the first question, play around with stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the way, funny, funny you mentioned Strigo because uh, we also work with the Strigo. I, I was just playing around with it today, preparing for the, for the next week's course. So yeah, uh, great. Okay, I think we're Strigo's biggest customer. I'm I'm not sure if that's like an official thing, but we run all the trainings that we do on Strigo and have been for a couple of years. Um, so we have a lot of Strigo courses, and it, and it's working great <laughs> because they're. Okay, and we've hit the gong on this question and we have another one. So the next question is uh, my favorite one because I like to call myself a software delivery futurist. I love, uh, you know, ruminating about what the future will bring and this is now your chance to tell us what you think the, the future will bring to DevOps, to IT in general, to the human race uh, as, as you see it. So, yeah, I, that is a question like, I, I think my, my not fully, uh, or my more sarcastic answer to that would be something like AI ops, um, because I just see that very often. It's, I think that the future is kind of fascinating because people take whatever they feel is broken today and then project into the future what will magically be fixed. Um, and well, AI, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, and AI, I don't think that will happen like that. And then it's, of course, like lots of sales and marketing jumping on whatever bandwagon you have there. So uh, that's my take on the future that is totally unpredictable because, or at least for me, I, I might be very bad at predicting the future because if I look five years ago, what I have predicted for today, I would have been very wrong. And I'm sure I'm very wrong for five years into the future. Um, I just feel like it won't be like what, what is being sold to us um, today, like, AI ops is one of the, the main things that I, I receive every now and then. And I'm always like, this is not what AI promised to us. And this is also not what your product is doing, but it sounds very fancy. And then people always, I think, have this, um, you have or try to find this sweet spot um, between confusion and excitement. And AI ops is the perfect thing here. Like nobody really knows what is supposed to happen and how this will shape up. Um, but they're excited for AI and whatever the future might hold. And then it's kind of just combined into whatever future dreams you might have. And I don't think that will play out like this. And on the other hand, 
maybe it's not even that bad because if AI ops would do everything that people promise, nobody would need us anymore. Um, and I, I don't th think that will happen anytime soon that we will magically get rid of all the people um, because it's more in the domain knowledge and experience of your system. And it's not everything what you would try to find with a linear regression or whatever you do in your AI ops in the end. Yeah, I was actually having a conversation about this with uh, with Mark Burgess, uh, who was uh, my guest before you, and uh, we were talking about how you know in the end, uh, whatever your software does, uh, it, it serves humans. So in the end, the the problems that occur in software they usually occur when the software interacts with humans. So no matter how much AI you add to the mix, <laughs> the humans will always be, be the problem. Yeah. And I don't even mean to bash on like the term AI in general too much, even though it's often oversold, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not the, the final solution to everything. And I really hope that we don't have in half a year or a year a product that's called AI ops, um, because then that would be a very funny discussion. <laughs> But I'll bug you a little more. You didn't answer my question. You said what's not going to happen. What do you think? You know, what will happen? It's unpredictable. I agree. Nobody is able to predict the future. What do you think? I, I think what I feel what is very much the current trend is that we try to solve problems with more complex solutions. It's I don't want to bash on Kubernetes and anything like that in, in the area, but it feels you like, okay, you, you take Kubernetes and then you build something on top and then you build something else on top. And at the end, I doubt very many people are able to debug what they have actually deployed or what is happening anymore. Um, but this seems to be the, the development that we try to solve problems by adding more complexity. And sometimes I'm not sure that is, that is really a solution. It might like fix it and cover it for a while, but if something breaks, um, things will stay very interesting. And like the error scenarios are getting more and more exciting, I would say. Like if you have like a bare metal server, and you have like the bad old monolith, um, I don't think you would get half as many exciting problems as you would want to get. Okay, and here, here is our gong. Philip, sorry. <laughs> I'll have to- Oh, that is fine. Okay, wonderful. So we have uh, uh, just a bit of time for the blitz questions. So we'll jump straight into that. So we started the talk from this, uh, online conferences or offline ones? I think the answer is, Evident here. Online conferences for scale and like accessibility. Offline conferences like for the depth of the conversation, I think. Okay. Your favorite programming language? YAML. No, I'm joking. Every <laughs> <laughs> program. No, I'm I, I'm not big on that discussion to be honest. Like for me, it's like a tool, and there's just the right tool for one job. And I I don't okay, the most like hated one. Okay. What's the most hated one? The most hated one. I still use PHP every now and then. <laughs> okay, we've hit the gong. Okay, yeah. this the conversation stops now. It was a lot of fun chatting to you. Actually, I had all kinds of thoughts while you were talking, but we don't have enough time, and that's the whole point of this show. We'll discuss in person next time, whatever Thanks time. Coming. Thanks for coming. I enjoyed it yeah. a lot. Short and sweet. Thank you for listening and watch out for new episodes of DevOps Shorts.